as I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimson flow. Many arrows pierced my soul from without within, but my Lord leads me on, through Him I must win. Oh, I want to see Him, look upon His face, there to sing forever of saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice, cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Service for my Lord, dark may be the night, but I'll cling more close to Him. He will give me light. Satan's snares may vex my soul, turn my thoughts aside, but my Lord goes ahead, leads whatever He tied. Oh, I want to see Him look upon His face, there to sing forever of His saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, then my Lord directs my bark, he to safely keep. Then he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me. Oh, I love him so. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of the saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Cares all past, home at
Well, amen. <clears throat> I hope you know what Jesus did for you. I hope you can look back to a day when He saved your soul and washed you clean and made you whole. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, turn over to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. If you would pick up one of those pamphlets, if you will, about our upcoming revival and the preparation that we're making for that, you're going to find that over these next two weeks, as we consider <clears throat> noting our gratitude toward the Lord by recognizing at least one thing a day, and we want to encourage you to put down one thing. I, I wouldn't put down three or four. I'd put one thing every day. And then focus on that one thing for the next 14, uh, the, you know, that day, and then another thing the next day, and another thing the next day, so that you can thank the Lord throughout the day for that one thing. And so we want to encourage you to do that. But the verse you're going to see in that pamphlet that kicks it off or that we use as the text verse for that, pass, that portion of our preparation is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And that's what I want to read right now. And we want to talk today a little bit about gratitude. And so let's go ahead and uh, take a moment and read the passage. And I'll give you just some introductory notes. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll continue with our message this morning. Glad you could be here. Uh, glad to see you. Good that you're here. And uh, uh, boy, I tell you what, you could be a lot of places. This is a good one to be. Amen. And so we're so thankful that the Lord brought you to Community Baptist Temple for the opportunity to participate and be a part of the service today. Let's go ahead and read that passage. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18. The Bible says in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, in the passage, God is making a very intriguing demand. He says, in everything. That word, everything, that's an amazing word, really. When we think about that word, everything, of course, we think about all. Uh, you know, and, and someone says, well, how do you define it? Well, everything. I don't know. Everything. I mean, just think about everything. That's pretty broad. That's pretty big, isn't it? And, you know, that alone is an amazing, encompassing statement in everything. But I want you to notice what follows it. This is, um, this is amazing as well. He says, in everything, give thanks. Give thanks. In everything, give thanks. I almost want to ask it like a question at times, don't you? I mean, in everything, give thanks. I mean, it's not stated that way in the Bible, but I'll tell you what, from our own perspective at times, it seems that it'd be easier to go, in everything, give thanks. I mean, that's about how I want to read it sometimes. It's not stated that way. It's not punctuated that way, but it certainly seems to come out of my mouth that way at times in my life, under certain circumstances and situations. In everything, give thanks. But that's exactly what the Bible's telling us. That's exactly what God's saying. And again, with first glance, we may be tempted to say it as a question, but it's not a question at all. It is a command. In everything, give thanks. But there's even more. When we place our personal trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, and we become a child of God by faith, we begin a new life. We begin a journey called the Christian life. And at that point, we should begin to search the Word of God and seek His will and His plan for our life. If you put your faith in Christ today, then you ought to be searching and seeking the will of God and the plan of God for your life. If you don't, you say, well, what's the purpose of my life? Well, it's to be in the will of God and fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. 
And so as a believer, you need to begin to strive and seek out that will and purpose. And the purpose of God is interesting because, excuse me, the will of God is interesting because it is the same for every believer. You say, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is the same for me. And it's the same for you. The will of God for your life is the same as it is for my life. And someone says, I don't believe that. Well, there's a distinction that must be made is that the will of God is different from the plan of God. And the plan of God for your life is for you, not me. But let me show you very quickly, or at least express the will of God very quickly, just some things that are for each and every one of us that are expressly shared with us in the word of God concerning the will of God. First of all, when we think about the will of God, the Bible says that every believer in the will of God According to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I mean, the bottom line is, is in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it's God's will that we do those things. That's what God would have for every believer, not just preachers or not just you know, full-time Christian workers in the sense of they're on a staff somewhere. He's talking about every believer that names the name of Christ is to fulfill the will of God by presenting their bodies a living sacrifice. That's the will of God. It's the will of God for every nine-year-old that claims Christ and every 90-year-old that claims Christ. It's the will of God for every woman and every man. It's the will of God for every gender, uh, nation, and tongue under heaven and earth that names the name of Christ. The fact is, is that we are indeed to present our bodies a living sacrifice and not be conformed to this world. That's the will of God for you. Not only that, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, well, you could take the time to look at that and you'd find that you're to redeem the time. That's the will of God for your life. It's the will of God for my life. You say, what do you mean? Well, don't waste what time you've got for God. The little bit of time that you have for Him. And by the way, you may have wasted a number of years in sin before coming to the Lord Jesus. Do you realize that it is your responsibility and the will of God to redeem that time, to make best use of not only the time you have, but to somehow, in a sense, buy back time that was lost? So, in a sense, in the military, we used to call, uh, we used to say things like, double time it to the mess hall. Now, that was one of the few times we didn't mind double timing. And what that meant was, instead of walking, you ran. You double timed it. May I say that if you spent a lot of years in sin, my friend, you've got to double time it in your service for God. You've got to redeem the time. That's the will of God. Not only that, but the will of God, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, is that your service, what you do for God, isn't just a matter of exterior service, doing something, but it's about the heart. It's doing what you do from the heart. That's the will of God, that you're doing it on behalf of Christ himself, that you're not doing it just for the preacher. You're not doing it just for some worker or or someone in the church. You're not just doing it for somebody in need. You're doing it for Christ. That's the will of God, that whatever you do in service, you do it for Christ. It's the will of God. Not only that, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, The Bible teaches us that the will of God is that we remain pure and holy in a generation where sin is ever abounding. My, oh, my, we're to come out from among them and be separate, save the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. We're to remain pure and holy in this sinful, wicked world. That's the will of God for you. It's the will of God for me. 
You say, I want to know what the will of God is. Well, it's found in the Word of God. And it's the same for every last one of us. It's sad that we make this distinction. A lot of times in the past, years ago, I should say, way back when, when the Revelation was being written, it talks about a, a group of, of, of people called the Nicolaitans. And what that was was a group of people who made a distinction between, the, the, say, the pastoral staff and the laity. Now, such a distinction was made that they almost, in, in a sense, it, it was as though those that were here ruled over those that were here. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with leadership, but the situation was is that you can't possibly understand the Word of God without me. I'm the only one that can gift you the truth of the Word of God. Those Nicolaitans and that, that Nicolaitan mentality was simply, there's such a distinction that this one and this class below that, nah, that's not necessary. And you know, you'd say, that's wrong. No pastor should take the place of lording over his flock. And you know what, you're right. But you know what, the the congregation sometimes is equally at fault by saying somehow, well, the pastor's the one that needs to be holy, and the pastor's the ones that needs to be separated, and the pastor's the one that needs to be winning souls, and the pastor's the one that needs to be in the Word of God. Not us. He's the pastor. We pay him to do that. Wait a second. It's the will of God for you, too. That's what the Bible teaches. It's the will of God. Not only that, but in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it's quite clear. He says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's never willing that any should perish. I don't know about you, but I think one of the greatest verses in the Bible that rips to shreds and destroys and wrecks and ruins Calvinism is that passage right there. That God's not willing that any should perish. And Calvinism basically states this in its most simplest form. That God stood one day in eternity and said, you know what? You're going to heaven. You're going to hell. You're going to heaven. You're going to hell. You're going to heaven. You're going to hell. That's what Calvinism basically does. In its purest sense. Well, I'll tell you something. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. Well, how can God make a decision on who goes to hell, but he's not willing that any should perish? It makes no sense at all. See, God's will is that everyone repent. Everyone turn to Jesus Christ. Everyone ultimately become a child of God. That means whether it's your, your father or your mother, your brother, your sister, your aunt or your uncle, or your co-worker or your teacher, uh, anybody, everybody, God's willing that all of them come to repentance. Matter of fact, the most heinous, wicked, vile, wretched sinner you know, God's will is that they be saved. Right. And finally, we talk about the will of God and we fall right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. I mean, we look at the will of God and we say things like, well, we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice and not be conformed to this world. That's God's will. We know that we're to redeem the time and we're to make best use of the time that we have and double time it if necessary. We realize that our service ought to be from the heart. That's the will of God for every child of God. We're to remain pure and holy. We're to obey those that are in authority over us. We're to, we're to not be willing that any should perish like Christ is not willing that any should perish. That's the will of God. That makes sense. We should be like that. Hold on. There's another one. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's an amazing passage, isn't it? Do you know that's as much of the will of God as it was for you to be saved? You know, that's as much as the will of God for your life as coming apart and being separate from the world and living a pure, holy life? Do, do we get that? Do we understand that? Can we wrap our mind around that? That's just as important as how you serve the Lord. Do you serve Him with a, from a pure heart? Or do you serve Him to get something out of it? Selfish motives. 
And this is just as important. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I think that's important too, by the way. It's funny, isn't it? Concerning who? You. So in my sense, I'd have concerning me. So when you read that passage, like I just, I should read it this way. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning Christ Jesus, concerning me. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. Me. So let's go ahead and read it, and you put me in it. So let's read the verse together. We're all there. And when it says you, he's talking to us. So that means it's me in a practical sense. So ready? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. Did you say that? You didn't. Most of you didn't. Let's try it again. I know that some of you are struggling with reading. You've only have a probably, I don't know what time, when they teach kids to read now, but obviously it was a much later in life when we were growing up. But anyway, here it is, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. I'm going to tell you something. If you and I will really reach out and grab that truth, if we will apply that practically in, in our own lives, let me tell you, it'll change our world. It'll change us. The changes. See, it's not for just my husband to be thankful or grateful. It, that didn't come out right. It's not just for my wife to be... Uh, th- th- that's good. It's not just for my wife to be grateful and thankful. It's not just for your husband, ladies, to be grateful and thankful. It's not just for our children to be grateful and thankful. It's for me. See, that's the will of God. For me. See, and that's the will of God for you. To be thankful in what? All things. Wow. Do you know how many times I've read that passage and I probably went, and everything gives thanks for this is the will of God. Right down the line. Stop and think about that for a minute. It's God's will that you give thanks in all things. In everything. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? And now all of a sudden it's easier to go, I see what the preacher's talking about then. It makes more sense. And everything give thanks. For this is, in everything give Thanks? Wow. That's rough, isn't it? So what about, how do we learn to be grateful then? If it's God's will for us, how do we, what are some things about gratitude we need to know? Let me, let me give you a couple of things about gratitude, and then I'm going to tell you how, how we can become more grateful, what we need to do if we're not grateful, I guess. Real quick, all right? Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to share a couple of things about gratitude, okay? Three thoughts. And then I'm going to give you a few thoughts about you know, what to do if you're not really as grateful as you ought to be. You know, if you're only grateful 99% of the time. If you're only grateful 90% of the time. Or 80 or 75% of the time. Okay, then we're, we're going to see what maybe we can do if that's us. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this few minutes that we have. Bless us, encourage us from your blessed book. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of the church. And Lord, then to apply this... this uh, process that we're going through uh, to, to prepare our hearts for Brother Moon and the, and the services that we're going to have at the end of the month. Lord, I'm glad that we're going to have an exercise in gratitude and thankfulness over the next two weeks. And Lord, help us, Father, to take it to heart and to understand it's your will for our life that we be thankful. Lord, help us to be obedient to your will. Now, Lord, bless this service. Meet our needs. In Christ's name, amen.
First of all, it's important to know that gratitude is a standard of the Master. It's a standard of the Master. It's His standard. See, it's not some pastor's standard. It's God's standard for your life, that you be thankful. It's not just that it makes life easier for your husband or your wife or, or your children or your family or, or even possibly your co-workers and your fellow students. I, I'm talking about this is God's standard for your life. In the Old Testament, the psalmist wrote this in Psalm chapter 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. That was the Old Testament. We see it written there. We see it expressed there. But in the New Testament, thankfulness and gratitude continue to hold their preeminence in the pages of the Word of God and in the life of the believer. We see in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 there, Paul the Apostle addresses the church at Rome. And he goes ahead and he's already described a downward progression of sin. But he goes on to say in verse 21, because that when they knew not God, they glorified him not as God, neither were what? Thankful. Isn't that amazing? Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you see that? ingratitude in this particular passage in Romans chapter 1 verse 21 directly affected their outlook and their understanding. It, it affected how they saw things. That's an amazing truth. So what it is is ingratitude blinds our hearts and our heads from the truth. We honestly do not understand nor can we grasp the word of God the way we should if we are unthankful, if we're in, we're ingrat, we have no thankfulness, I guess. Let's see. Ingrace. Let's see. Lack gratitude. That's better. Two words. Whew. Trying to find one word. That wasn't good. If we lack gratitude, the passage teaches us then that we will struggle understanding the Word of God and seeing it the way it is. You won't be able to grasp truth. You won't be able to do that if you're lacking gratitude. See, the view of the ungrateful man or woman is skewed. They can't see straight. It's impossible. Later in the passage, the Bible tells us that they ultimately would deny the truth. And they would become fools, the Bible said. Do you know what the word fool means in the Bible? The word fool means that they didn't even believe there was a God. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. There comes a point in the progression of sin that people begin to stray from God. They become ungrateful. And now they cannot see the word of God nor the God of heaven the way they should. And ultimately, they eventually deny him completely. Ingratitude plays such a major role in your life concerning your faith and your practice. While addressing the church at Colossia, the, the Apostle Paul expresses God's desire for all his children when he says in chapter 3, verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Again, notice he says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We all want the peace of God, don't we? I mean, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. It's interesting how he associates or ties that thankfulness or gratitude to the peace of God. What, we're going to, what we find then basically is this, that Christ himself is the peace of God. We see that in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, a son, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And may I say that the Prince of Peace today dwells inside of you if you've received and accepted him as Savior and Lord. He lives in you, and so peace is truly 
you're capable of experiencing peace daily, every day of your life. However, gratitude will do away with that. You'll lose your peace if you don't have gratitude. It's gone. No matter how much peace has been extended to the believer, there will be no experience of peace as long as there is ingratitude in your heart and life. See, there is no room for a heart of ingratitude. There's no place for a spirit of thanklessness in the believer's life. Gratitude is the standard of the master. Number two, gratitude is a sign of maturity. Gratitude is a sign of maturity. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, we already read it, but it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See, again, giving thanks is the will of God for your life and for my life. And obedience in this area affects maturity. Listen, you cannot grow in Christ and not obey the Lord. You can't say, I'm going to disobey God, but I'm going to grow in Christ. It doesn't work that way. We are spiritual babes when we're born. And the truth is, is if we apply His principles and we apply His, His Word, then we grow in Christ. Listen, don't tell me that you're growing in Christ, but you're disregarding His commands. That's, that's, that's inconsistent. It doesn't work that way. And this element of gratitude is so necessary and needful in our lives. It is the will of God for your life. Therefore, it's the command that God gives. And when we fail to be grateful in everything, then we fail to obey God. And our growth is stunted. Babies are about the most selfish little creatures you ever met in your life, right? I don't care how adorable they are. They are wicked, wicked, wicked. Come on now. Every mother understands that when she's up all night long with a baby who won't sleep. And you think, why isn't he sleeping? Why isn't she sleeping? And they just, being ornery, being little kids, causing trouble. That's how they do it. See, children are need, need to, you have to teach them. Teach them to share. You have to teach them to appreciate what they have even. I mean, if you had a child at some point, you're giving them a gift and all they do is shred it to pieces and right to the next one. Right? What's that about? It's that wicked little kid. Again, adorable. I get it. Adorable, maybe. My, I mean, think about it. Remember, and we was talking to uh, Brother Pauly at, the, at the, the, the youth, at the, the conference the other day. He made the statement when he did preach about the fact that, you know, um, you know, every parent tries to teach your kid, read the card first. You know, why? Because it's important, right? Who gives it? Not just the gift itself. But kids could care less about who gives it. They just want the gift, right? That's children. That's the way it works. Why? Because they're selfish. They're self-centered. It's all about them. You have to teach a child to be grateful. You have to teach a child to be thankful. You have to teach a child to have the right perspective in this area. It doesn't come natural. It is our nature to be selfish. As we grow in Christ, we grow closer to God. And our view changes in life a little bit. It changes. See... As a kid, I used to love to climb trees. I don't do much of that anymore. Yeah, I, I try to keep my feet on the ground. 
But I used to climb trees. Now, I'll be honest with you, years ago, I didn't mind heights. It didn't bother me a bit. I'd get up real high, loved it. Boy, I'll tell you what, it was some years ago now. It's been a while ago. But I remember uh, one of the folks in our church had a real, uh, uh, you know, kind of like a problem with their roof. It had caved in during a bad rainstorm and the thing was getting all wet and everything. It was a three-story house. And I still remember that, that uh, I decided I would go up on top and I'd have my hand up there. And for the first time in my life, I started climbing up those ladders. I got to the, the, the second story and I had to take another ladder to the third story. And I, w- I was taking that ladder to the third story. And as I got ready to step up on top of that roof, I couldn't move. I stood there and I was looking down over. There was a hole in the roof over here. Here was me. I'm like, yeah, I got it. I'll be there in a second. I, I try to climb up and step over the... And I, I got nervous. And I, I, I just I tried it with the other foot. And I, I tried to climb up over that thing. I started to put my foot... Uh, I started climbing to the very top. And I tried, thought I might just be able to kind of, you know, feel my way to the... I couldn't. I froze. Man, I'll tell you what. Heights scared the life out of me all of a sudden. For the first time in my life, I couldn't understand it. It made, it made no sense. I finally had to admit, I can't get on that roof because if I get on, I probably won't get off. I'd have to call the fire department. I'll be like a little kitty stuck in a tree. <laughs> More embarrassing than just saying I couldn't get to the top is saying, can somebody get a police officer and a fire to, fireman to carry me off this thing? No, nah, that wasn't going to happen. i tell you that right now. So I climbed back down. I said, listen, uh, you have to get somebody else to go up there. I'm not able to get there right now. What's wrong? Nothing. (laughs) But I used to love to climb trees. And the taller, the better. I mean, that was great. And it was scary at times. There's no doubt. You know, you're kind of tiptoeing around. You're worried a branch is going to snap or something. But with every step upward, the world kind of took on another perspective to you. Wow. Up here, everything looks so different. Boy, I'll tell you what, you could see what seemed like for miles, you know, as a kid. I can see my friend's house down the street, and I can see that. And, oh, this is awesome. looks so different than when you're on the ground. You've been there. You, you recognize that. You, you know what that feeling's like. And you know, from ground zero in our lives, our view is limited by the many obstacles that stand in our way, aren't they? But let us grow up in Christ and let us draw nigh to the Lord. And soon we're able to see over the many distractions that the world presents. We're able to see past the detours that Satan places in our pathway. And when we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are privileged to see far beyond our limited scope and view. Long long ahead of our finite limitations. See, the promised land is better seen from the lofty heights of Pisgah than they were from the dusty trails of Galilee. I promise you that. And as we climb higher in our relationship and our walk with God, we're able to see the big picture better. And there's something about seeing the big picture that helps us to be grateful and thankful for what is in spite of how difficult it can be. So the mature believer sees the grand scheme And gratitude is a perspective. And often our gratitude is little because we see little. And the closer to God that we get, the higher we climb in our Christian experience. And the higher we climb in our Christian experience, the more clearly we will see. And that clarity enables us to better see God. Better see God at work in our lives. And in the lives of others. 
And it'll make us more thankful and more appreciative and more grateful. So we see that gratitude is a sign of maturity. Not only that, but gratitude is a source of merriment. My son just said the other day that when you use a word that needs to, uh, in, a, in a point that needs uh, uh, explained or defined, then you shouldn't be so worried about alliteration. I told him, stop talking like that in front of me. <clears throat> merriment. It's a word that expresses joy and happiness. I mean, come on now. I mean, I've got a three-point outline here right now going. Guidance is a standard of the master. Gratitude is a sign of maturity. You've got to have an M there. Gratitude is a source of merriment. Come on now, you've got to work with me on this. So merriment is a word that expresses joy and happiness. Do you know there's little hope of happiness in our lives if you're not grateful? I mean, really, we've all been lacking gratitude in our lives at some point. It's a miserable place to be, is it not? And if we're not thankful, then we're unhappy with our circumstance. We're unhappy with our situation. When that happens in our lives, we want things to be different, and we, we wish they were different than they are. And boy, we get to where we're, we're just not satisfied. We're not content anymore. People that are thankful are the most happy people around. You ever notice that? See, they view themselves as blessed, and that translates to happy. Now listen, I know somebody can have an excuse. They can say, but you don't know my circumstance, and you don't know how bad it's been, and I get that. But I'm telling you that the will of God for your life is no different than the will of God for mine. I'm not saying that I would have an easy time being grateful for certain circumstances and situations. I'm not saying that it would be easy. What I am saying is, if I want to be right with God, I've got to learn to be grateful and learn to be thankful in everything. That's all I know. And if I preached anything else to you, I would be a liar. I can't do that. And the truth is we need to learn to be thankful. In 1 Timothy 1, 12-14, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding, abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is speaking here. He's describing his life. He's describing his ministry. And he's saying, listen to me. I'm thankful to God. I'm so grateful to God for putting me in the ministry. But what he didn't say there is what he faced in the ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, turn there if you would, please. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Wow, Paul, that's exciting. I'm thankful too. Uh, wait, wait till you see what he endured and what he went through though. And he's still thankful for that? I'm telling you that it's not our circumstances that determine or dictate whether or not we're to be thankful. Notice what he says here in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. He says, of the Jews five times received thy forty stripes, save, save one. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Of the Jews, five times received thy forty stripes, save one. That means thirty-nine stripes. And that isn't like a little spanking from mom and dad. That left permanent marks. Permanent. Not a little welt. That left permanent. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, 
Perils is not a good thing. It's not pearls. Perils. Bad stuff. Perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without. Are you kidding me, Paul? You mean it gets even harder? That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Not only that, but he had all these responsibilities and, and everybody counting on him. And still he was enduring all that. Wait a second, Paul. You said you thank Christ Jesus putting you into the ministry. You thank him for what's transpired and happened in your life? Are you out of your mind, Paul? He's just obeying the will of God for his life. Being thankful. Because he understands. See, he's climbed up a pretty high tree. And he sees the big picture. And he understands that life isn't just about him. That there's more that God is working and doing. Not just in his life, but in the lives of others. And if I'm just, I'm a piece in that puzzle. And I'm going to fulfill my purpose and your plan for my life. I'm going to do it for you, God. I'm okay with what you bring in my life. I'm just going to be thankful for everything what he says. So, very, very quickly, gratitude is an act of obedience. To be ungrateful and unthankful is sin then. It's sin. To be ungrateful and unthankful is sin. We don't like to talk like that today. Nobody wants to be a sinner, but it's sinful. To be ungrateful and unthankful. To not be thankful is to sin. And by the way, there is very little that is any uglier or repulsive than, ungra- than ingratitude. It's, dis- it's disgusting. You ever been around people that aren't thankful, that are ingrate? You ever been around that kind of thing where nothing's good enough? It's always, I don't like that. I don't like them. It's like, man, I mean to tell you, take me home now, Lord. What can we do then? Number one, here it is. Be honest with yourself concerning your spirit in this area. You need to be real honest with yourself. So do I. Again, remember, is there any area of ingratitude in your life? Any area? You know, we like to compartmentalize our, our, our world and our lives. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my job. Well, not many people are grateful for that. But anyway, I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for my family. But. But. Okay, that's what I'm talking about right there. Is there any area of your life you're not grateful for? I don't like how tall I am. I don't like that I'm losing all my hair. I don't like... I don't like any of those things. But anyway, I, that, I, that's a Freudian slip. It just kind of came oozing out. But nonetheless, uh, the fact is, is that we could find ourselves discontented and ungrateful and unthankful in certain areas. Let me tell you something. That's sinful. So you need to be really honest with yourself then. Concerning your spirit in this area. Number two, then you need to confess your sin of ingratitude then. You need to go to God according to 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
We're not talking about being saved again. We're just talking about confessing sin. We know what the will of God is, and we know that we're not fulfilling the will of God when we are not thankful and grateful. And as a result of that, we understand it to be the sin that it is. And we go to God and say, God, you know what? I am a sinner. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm asking your forgiveness. Oh, God, forgive me for my ingratitude and my unthankfulness. Number three, draw closer to him then. We've confessed our sin. We've, we've confessed it as sin unto God. Now let's draw closer to Him. Too many times we're trying to fix our faults by somehow doing something. No, the way you fix your faults is by getting closer to Him. Focusing your attention on Him. That's really the key to every success in the Christian life is Christ Himself. See, when we get closer to Him, by doing so, we're rising above our circumstances again. We're seeing the world from a different perspective. We see His hand in our life, and we find the very grace we need to be thankful. Then number four, cast out any thoughts or in, of, of ingratitude and unthankfulness. Just cast them out. Get rid of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're casting down some things. Getting rid of them. We're not going to dwell on those things anymore. We're not going to do that. We're not, we're not going to even allow them to, to have a place in our heart and our mind. The moment we think about ingratitude, the moment we're going, man, I can't, I don't like that. And we stop ourselves. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That does not honor God. And that's not fixing anything by complaining. And by feeling ungrateful for what I do have is not the way. Or for feeling ungrateful for what I don't have is not the way to draw to, that honors God and pleases the Lord. I'm just going to keep my focus on Christ. I'm going to continue to try to draw nigh to Him. I'm going to continue to recognize His holiness, His purity, His righteousness. And I'm going to go ahead and cast out that thought. I don't want to think like that anymore. I'm not going to. I'm going to obey God's Word and cast down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And finally, number five. We're honest with ourselves concerning our spirit in this area. You've got to be honest. Is there any area of ingratitude? Number two, confess your sin of ingratitude. Number three, draw closer to Him. Number four, cast out any thought of ingratitude or unthankfulness. And finally, five, choose to dwell on the right thoughts now. Okay, you've gotten rid of it. You're not going to think about that, so what are you going to think about? Something's got to occupy your mind. Something will always occupy your mind and thoughts. What is it that's going to occupy your mind, your thoughts? Well, turn, if you would, to Philippians 4, 8 as we close. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Choose to dwell on the right thoughts. Find something to be thankful for then. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You need to think about those things that are, are right. You need to think about those things that are good. You need to think about those pure things and lovely things. 
the bottom line is, is that when we are thinking about ingratitude or unthankfulness or a lack of thankfulness, then it is sinful thoughts that we are having. We've got to cast those out. We've got to get rid of that. We can't say, that car of mine, I can't stand it. I, I hate it. It's terrible. You thankful for it? Absolutely not. My friends, you're only hurting yourself and everyone around you. I'm going to tell you something. That's not honoring God, and that's a sin right there. You're lucky you all have any kind of car at all. you got something to work with. You can at least take it down to a scrap yard and get 250 bucks for it. That guy don't even have a car. He can't get 250 bucks. You ought to be thankful you can get 250 bucks if you want it. I'm just saying, how are you thinking? What are you thinking? The truth is, is that we all have something to be thankful for. We have a lot of things to be thankful for. But we don't get our eyes on Christ. And when we get them on our circumstance, our situation, we are no longer grateful. And when that happens, we are just in sin. And the Bible says, cast those things down. Get rid of those thoughts and replace them with something positive and good. Think about what you are thankful for. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Well, when God changes my heart, then... No, you commit your works to the Lord. You do the right thing, and then those thoughts will be established. We keep waiting for God to change our thoughts. Then I'll change how I act and live. I won't go to church as a hypocrite. I won't go there if I don't want to be there. Well, aren't you admirable? The Bible says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. You get in your seat. You be where you're supposed to be. And pretty soon you'll go, I love God's house. I love God's word. I love God's preaching. I love God's people. Problem is, we're trying to do it our way. The world's lied to us. And God's got a plan and a perfect plan it is. We've got to follow His way, His word, and do things His way. May God help each of us to remember that the supernatural work that Christ, remember that supernatural work that he did in our lives. Get our eyes off of the circumstances, the situation that we find ourselves in. Let's start climbing higher as we focus on Christ. As we take one more step up and another step up closer to the master, we're going to see things from a different perspective. And every time the Satan throws a thought in our mind to say, that wife or that husband of yours, you could do better. We go, shut up! Get me behind me. I'm not thinking like that. We go back over here to Philippians 4.8 and we say, I'm going to think about this. and I'm going to make sure it's good and it's going to be productive and it's going to be positive and it's going to honor Christ. And that will change how you think. The next time someone comes to you and says, your husband's a bum. You'll go, how dare you? Not in my eyes, he isn't. And he may be a bum in so many ways. But you've been thinking the right way. Oh, you know the truth in the sense you understand there's areas that need repair and fix. But you're not going to be ungrateful. You're going to be thankful for what God has given you, not what he hasn't. It's amazing what God will do in our lives. If we'll climb up closer to him, do the work. So there you go. Five simple thoughts. How to help us with that. I don't know. We're going to start every day writing one thing that we're thankful for. Grateful for. Let's do that, would you? Let's begin to focus on the things that God has done for us. One thing I'm grateful for, one thing I'm thankful for today. Write it in. And then all day say, Lord, I want to thank you for that. Lord, I know there's so many things in my life that I'm struggling with, but there's something I'm grateful for and thankful for, and I want to focus on that. I'm thinking about what you've done for me in this area. I'm thankful for what you gave for me in this area. I'm thankful for what you're doing in this area. 
boy, just for the next 14 days, let's move that direction and see how we do. I believe it'll help us if we focus on this and really try hard. It'll prepare our hearts for revival because there's no way revival comes if there's sin in our hearts. So let's work on not being sinners, fulfilling the sin of ungratefulness. Let's work on being grateful and thankful for what God is doing, has been doing, and will do in our lives. Father, we come to you.